John chapter 11. I have one goal in preaching the sermon today, and that is the same goal that Jesus had with the miracle that we're going to see here, and that is that the Father would be exalted, that God would be honored, that his glory would be put on full display so that unbelievers and skeptics would believe, and so that the faith of believers would be strengthened. We have recorded for us, in John chapter 11, one of the most extraordinary events of all time, and we're going to examine it closely today. John chapter 11, would you please stand as we read the first few verses, beginning in verse number 1. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to the disciples, let us go into Judea again. John chapter 11 is not a fiction. It's a historical event involving Jesus Christ and some of his close friends. The illness of Lazarus, which we're going to look at today, reveals some things about Jesus. And it reveals some things about Mary and Martha, and I believe it will reveal some things about us as well, because each of us has our own Lazarus. Maybe some of you have multiple Lazaruses. For Mary and Martha, their Lazarus, their brother, was this loved one who was ill, who they had no power to control this illness. And the one who had the power to fix it didn't seem too concerned about fixing it. Did you catch verse 6 that we just read? Jesus' response to hearing that their brother was sick. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days in the same place. He just waited. What were Mary and Martha supposed to do with that? This was their, their Lazarus. This was the one that they loved, and it seemed like Jesus wasn't doing what he was able to do. And so this morning, I want to preach about embracing your Lazarus, because I think all of us have a Lazarus. Embracing your Lazarus. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. Even when it seems like you're not good, you're still good, as we're going to see this morning. And I'm thankful for just the spirit and attitude of worship here this morning, because you're, you're worthy of it. And this morning, God, I just pray that you would do a work in the hearts of each person here. Help each of us, as your powerful word is, is read and preached, to humble ourselves and submit to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Verse 1, now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, 
the town of Mary and her sister Martha, a certain man. We don't know a lot about this certain man. He was mentioned only a couple of times in the Bible. We know he had two sisters, Martha and Mary. We know that he was from a town called Bethany, just a short way out of the city of Jerusalem. This wasn't Jesus's first encounter with the family, nor would it be his last. We're going to see him in chapter 12, meeting in their house and enjoying some homemade apple pie or something that Martha had cooked up for them. We also know that, that, that Jesus had a real affinity towards this family. Not only because he visited their house and had meals with them on multiple occasions, but notice the way the sisters, when they sent messengers to Jesus about their brother being sick, notice the way they addressed him. They didn't say his name, but instead in verse 3 they said, He whom thou lovest. Even John, who penned these words in verse 5, said, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We also know that his name was Lazarus, of course. Lazarus is the perfect name for him because the, his name literally means the one whom God helps. God's going to help Lazarus in just a few verses. Aren't you thankful when God helps you? The one who God helps. Lastly, we know that this man Lazarus was sick. And we don't even know a lot about the sickness. We don't know what caused it or how long he had had it. We know one thing, and that it was very, very, very severe. It would ultimately lead to his death. We also know the purpose of his sickness. Look in verse 4, Jesus is going to tell them why he's sick. The sickness, he said, is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. The sickness has a purpose. Now, a certain man was sick. We're going to come back later to verse 2, but verse 3 says, Therefore his sister sent unto him, Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Isn't it interesting that the sisters didn't try to talk Jesus into helping Lazarus based on Lazarus' love for Jesus? They didn't say, you got to come help him. He loves you so much. We can't earn God's favor by trying to love him more. He already loves us. And it's because of his love for us. His love for us is the basis of his blessing toward us. That's grace. Lord, behold thou, he whom thou lovest is sick. This messenger comes and tells Jesus. They beg him to come. In verse 4, when he heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus announces the purpose right off the bat of the sickness. It wasn't for him to die, but rather so that he would be glorified, so the Father would be glorified. Now, up until this point in the story, everything seems pretty normal. Nothing too out of the ordinary has happened. Jesus loves everybody, but he has a special closeness to some people. One of his friends, one of his good friends, Lazarus, is very sick. They send for him. Nothing unusual there. Verse 5 says he, he loved them. That's not unusual. But what happens next is where the, the story really kind of gets strange. Because after telling us that Jesus loved them, verse 6 says, When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode there two days still in the same place where he was. In the last verse, verse 5, we see that Jesus loved Lazarus. In verse 6, he's, he gets a message that he's ill, and his response is to just stay there. 
after reading that Jesus loved him and finding out that he was sick, you would think the response would be for him to take off immediately, leave food on the table, leave his bag, and just go and try to help this friend of his. If you've ever ever been in a a place and your child was in another room and your child cried out in need of help in some way and and you were genuinely concerned about the well-being of your child, what do you do? You you don't turn the television off and make sure the lights are all turned off to save electricity and make sure your shoes are tied and your clothes match. You don't do any of that. You just go. You 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 just go because someone that you know is hurting and you want to help them. But we see in verse 6 that Jesus' love for Lazarus caused him to do something most unexpected. Nothing. He just stayed there. Now I need to back up and talk about love for just a moment. This will be review for many of you. And if it is, you can just doodle on your paper or something for just a moment. But in the Greek language, there are multiple words to describe what we just call love. We, in English, America, we just love. We love. We love people. We love our spouse. We love our parents. We love chicken. We love our new shoes. We love macaroni and cheese. We love Thanksgiving. We love the snow. We love the sun. We just, we love everything. We're very loving people. But the Greek had different words for these different types of love. One of them we see in verse number three. Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. The, the Greek word there is phileo, P-H-I-L-E-O, like Philadelphia, cream cheese. The city of brotherly love, phileo. It's, it's, a, it's a type of love that we have towards our brothers and our sisters. It's a, it's a kinship, it's a friendship. And she sends to him, and she says, the one who you love, your friend, the one who you love, phileo, is sick. But then in verse 5, we have a different kind of love. It's a different word. The Greek word is agapeo. We've heard agape often. This is a different kind of love than the phileo friendship, brotherly love. This is not like, I love you, bro. This is a, a love that only God can issue, only comes from God. This is a divine love that can only originate from God. It's not a sensual, erotic love. It's not a I love you man kind of a love. It's a perfect, pure love that originates from God. And John records that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus with that kind of love. And because he loved them with that kind of love, he did not rush off to them immediately, but rather he stayed put. Had he loved them only with that brotherly phileo kind of love, then he would have done like we often do to uh, our children or those we care, but we would have rushed off just trying to help them immediately. But he had a love that was bigger than that. And so he waited two days because he had something in mind that was much better than just healing Lazarus. Waiting isn't always a bad thing. This is not the way we would expect to show love. When we, as selfish humans, we think for someone to show me love means that when I get home, there's going to be a, a meal on the table hot and ready. That's love. Like little Caesars. Or, or when I make a mess, I exp- if you loved me, when I, when I make a mess, you'd pick up, even if I act like a slob, if you loved me, you'd pick it up after me, because that's what love does. 
If you love me, you would fulfill all of my desires exactly how I want them, exactly when I want them. That's how we think about love. But Jesus, with the most pure love possible, doesn't display love in the expected way at all, does he? Don't look for proof of God's love in his response to your circumstances. Because you can't understand his love all the time. Things are about to get even more interesting in verse 7. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go again into Judea. His disciples say unto him, Master, the disciples don't always like Jesus' ideas. Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus, we've been there. Remember, it wasn't that long ago. And last time we were there, they tried to kill us with rocks. Do you really want to go back there again? And Jesus answered, note this answer, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. Jesus doesn't always give straight answers, does he? Lauren's like that in a lot of ways. She's like Jesus in a lot of ways. But, but maybe, maybe none more than this. Sometimes I'll ask her a question, and I'll get a response, and I'll say, I think I should ask that question again, because the answer that I got doesn't seem to line up with the question that I asked. And I never really thought about it until I studied this passage, but really, she's just being like Jesus, which doesn't, shouldn't surprise me. So if you ever experience that in your home or family, just know that the person you're talking to is just trying to be like Jesus. But, but Jesus was answering them. He just wasn't giving them the answer that they were expecting or the answer that they were wanting. His answer was reminiscent of what he said in John chapter 9 when he said, I must work the works of him that sent me. The night cometh when no man can work. They were worried about going into Judea for their lives. And what he's saying is there is a time for working and doing. It's the daytime. It's the 12 hours. But at some point, the Lord's going to turn the lights off. It's going to be dark. And what he's telling them is no matter how much precaution they put out there, if the Lord says the, the lights are on and it's time to work, then we're safe. We're safe to go. And if we're here on this earth, we can assume that God has allowed us to be here. And so we shouldn't live in fear but we ought to boldly go forward and, and do the work of him that sent us. Well, the disciples, if they weren't confused, their heads are about to spin in verse number 11. Things, these things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Jesus speaking, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Lord, Judea is a dangerous place. They tried to kill us there. If Lazarus is sleeping, that's good for him. He's sick. Why are we going to risk our lives to go to a place and wake him up when he's sleeping? Jesus, let's think this through. Verse 13, how be it? Jesus spake of his death, but they, that thought, but they thought that he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. In the Bible, death, is, especially for the believer, is often called sleep. Because it's not permanent. It's just temporary. One day we're going to rise with him. Verse 14, Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. 
Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us go, let us also go, that we may die with him. For the disciples, this had to be very perplexing. When they first got the news that their friend Lazarus was sick, they might have expected him to pack up and to take off immediately, but he did nothing for two days. And now, two days later, Jesus announces that Lazarus is dead, and now he's going to go and take them through this hostile environment to a friend that's already dead. You know, Jesus doesn't always make sense to us, does he? What Jesus does and does not do does not always makes sense. It would have made sense for him to risk the lives of the apostles when they had a chance maybe of saving Lazarus, but now Jesus has already said that Lazarus is dead, so it doesn't make sense now to go up there where people are trying to kill us with rocks. Jesus doesn't always make sense, but they take this day-long journey to Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem, verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but uh, Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. You can sense the emotions really shifting here. We've been hearing about the death of Lazarus, and Jesus really hasn't shown any emotion. He's sleeping. It's for the glory of God. He's dead. I'm glad that I wasn't there for your sake. But now he's on his way into Bethany. Before he even gets to the city, Martha finds out that he's coming, and she rushes out to him, and she says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. We see the different personalities, once again, of these sisters. Martha rushes out to give her opinion, but Mary waits in the house. We see the same thing in Luke chapter 10. Jesus had visited their house prior to this, and Martha's up baking something, maybe some homemade cornbread or something. She's up cooking, walking around, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. And Martha looks at Jesus, and she says, Jesus, don't you care that I'm doing all the work here? I'm doing everything, and all she's doing is sitting there. Tell her to get up and help with the work. And, and Jesus looked at Martha, and he said, Martha, Martha, You're careful, you're troubled about many things, but Mary has chosen the good thing, the one thing that will not be taken away from her. This is their personality, very different. Martha rushes out and says, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. I'm glad you're here now, Jesus, but we needed you here then. Why'd you have to leave us? It wasn't all that long ago you were with us, and if you wouldn't left us, then Lazarus would still be with us. I called for you. Why'd you take so long, Jesus? If you would have just been here, if you would have just been here, he'd still be here. This is a woman, Martha, who loved her brother. We can relate to this. How would you have felt if you had a close friendship with somebody who had the power To heal your brother's disease. Your brother is dying. You are friends with someone, close friends with someone who has the power to heal his disease. You ask him to come and he delays. So I ask you, what is your Lazarus? What is the thing that you've called on God for, but he didn't come through? You knew he could. You asked him for it, you pled for it, you begged for it, 
but he didn't. What is it that you know that God has the power to fix? He has the power with the spoken word, with a snap of his fingers to make it all okay. And you've begged him to do it. And so far, he hasn't. Maybe it's not sick loved ones. Maybe it's an emotional struggle, anxiety or or, or depression. Maybe it's desires that you want to be rid of in your life. You want them gone, but they're not. You know he can take it away. You know he can. But he hasn't. In fact, you've seen him fix other people's problems, but he hasn't fixed your problems. You've seen him put marriages back together and bring wayward children back. You've seen that. You've seen him restore relationships, but he hasn't done it for you. Think about this. Jesus was healing people all over the area. Martha knew it. Mary knew it. They knew the power of Jesus. I've seen it, Jesus. I've seen you heal people. I know you've raised people from the dead. Why not us? You did it for perfect strangers, that ruler of the synagogue, Jay Iris. You, you, you raised up his daughter. She was dead and you raised her up. They didn't, they didn't cook for you. They didn't have you over to their house for, for, for food. Why, why are you helping them and not helping us? Why aren't you helping your friends? We love you and you love Lazarus. Maybe you've had similar thoughts. You go to work and see people every day who curse God and live as opposite of God's word as, as, as possible, and yet they seem to have fewer problems than you have. Why? We, we see in, in Martha what, if we're honest, we see in ourselves. And that's a flawed faith. We do see faith, but it's a flawed faith. It's imperfect faith. If you would have just been here, you could have healed him. I like what she said in verse 22. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Even now. Even now. She still had some faith, didn't she? If you had just been here, then he would still be here. But even now. Even now you're able let me ask you, have, you, have you completely given up hope on God? Or do you have enough faith to say, I wish you would have fixed it back then, but even now, you can. I wish you would have not get to this point, but, but we're here, and so even now, I know you're able. Even now, I believe. Even now. Even now, even now you can bring my straying daughter back home. Even now you can save my husband. Even now you can fix my marriage. Even now you can heal my disease or the disease of the person that I love. I wish you would have done it a long time ago. I've been praying about it for a long time. But even now, you're able. She has faith, doesn't she? But it's flawed faith. It's, it's imperfect faith. Thomas had flawed faith back in verse 16 when he said, I'll go with you. Let's all go with you and just die with you. We'll go, but we know we're going to die. The father had flawed faith in Mark 9 who cried out for his son, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Imperfect faith. In fact, I believe it it was their faith that made this so difficult. Had they not believed in the first place, they would have mourned their son, but they wouldn't have blamed Jesus. But it's the fact that they know that he can and didn't that made it so challenging. Verse 23, Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. 
Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus makes one of the great statements in all of Scripture in verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And then he looked at Martha and he asked, Believest thou this? I am the resurrection and the life. What a statement. Exodus chapter 3, Moses had this burning bush conversation with God, and God told him, I want you, Moses, to go into this superpower of the world, Egypt, where my people, the Israelites, have been living in slavery and serving the Egyptians for 400 years. I want you, a nobody, a shepherd, out in the middle of the desert to march into this superpower of Egypt and go to the king and tell the king, uh, Pharaoh, I'm here to bring all of this million-strong army of slaves and take them back home. And Moses said, who am I? And he said, if I go and I talk to Pharaoh, who should I tell him sent me? By what authority am I here? And God said, I am that I am. You tell them that I am sent you. And he did. I am. I am. I am. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the vine and you're the branches. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here I am the resurrection and the life. Not only am I able to raise up Lazarus, I am the resurrection. Not only am I able to call to the Father and ask that he heal this sickness and give him life, I am the life. And everybody who believes in me, even though he were dead, he will live again. I am. Always present. He doesn't live in the past. You may live in the past. He doesn't live in the past. He's always in the present. He doesn't live in the future. He has no time. There's no time with God. Wherever you are, God is. So he looks at Martha and he says, Believest thou this? She said, verse 27, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. This was a statement of faith. Her faith wasn't perfect, it was flawed, but this was a, 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 a woman of faith. She had doubts about her brother, but even in the midst of her doubts, she could say, I believe, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, you are the one that will come into the world. It was imperfect faith. You weren't here, Jesus, when I needed you, but I believe that you are. You are who you say you are. We may never... We may have times of doubt, but don't stop believing in him. Don't give up on God. Flawed faith is better than no faith. Verse 28, And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master has come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Martha was always outspoken. She didn't need an invitation to Jesus, but Mary just sat back in the house until till Martha said, Mary, he wants to come talk to you. Verse 30, now Jesus was not yet coming to the town, but was in that place where Martha met him outside of town. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, with Mary in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she arose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, she goeth unto the grave to weep there. They wanted to go with her and comfort her. Verse 32, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. 
When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit, and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Aren't you thankful that that Jesus can relate to us in our struggles? He didn't rebuke them for mourning. This was their brother. Mary had come, uh, or many had come from Jerusalem to, to comfort and to mourn. We don't know how many, maybe dozens or scores, maybe hundreds, all standing around to, to witness this confrontation between Mary and, and, and Jesus. And she said, Lord, if you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, if you would have been here, then Lazarus would not have died. And Jesus saw her crying and saw all the people around mourning, and, and he was troubled in his spirit. And he wept. And verse 38 says, Jesus, therefore, also, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone laid upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone, Martha. The sister of him that was dead saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he's been dead four days. Jesus comes and he says, remove the stone. And Martha said, Lord, it's been four days. His body stinks. I don't think it's necessary to go into great detail about what happens to a, a body. The Jews did not embalm as we do. They, when, they, when, 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 a, when a person died, they would put them in, the, in, in a tomb. They would seal it up with a rock to, to keep people from going in and, and the, sm- the smell from coming out. They didn't put people, embalm them and put them in a nice suit and tie and lay them out for other people to see like, like we do today. So inside there, you've got this body, four days old, flesh rotting, blood dried up smell. They would keep this large stone there, and and Jesus told them to remove the stone, the one thing keeping them from this dead body. And Martha, who was always quick to give her opinion, said, Lord, I know you just got here, but he's been in there four days. He stinks. His body stinketh. We've got all these people around here, perhaps hundreds of people gathered surrounding this, this cave, this tomb. If we open it, everybody's going to see, everybody's going to smell Jesus. But what Martha didn't know was that's exactly what Jesus wanted for all of these people to see what was about to happen. To put the glory of God on full display for everybody. Verse 40, Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes toward heaven, and he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, here it is, Lazarus, come forth. Can you begin to imagine the tension at that moment? They've been crying, mourning, weeping for four days, trying to comfort Mary, trying to comfort Martha. They followed her out thinking they were just coming to comfort Mary at the grave. 
Jesus tells them to remove the stone. They don't know what to expect. They don't know. Martha has said publicly that he's going to stink. They don't know if the smell is going to rush out. They don't know what's going to happen. And Jesus says, remove the stone. And when they did, he says, Lazarus with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. I'm sure nobody breathed at that moment. What's going to happen? Verse 44. And he that was dead came forth. (laughs) bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, Loose him, and let him go. Lazarus is alive. He was dead for four days, and now he's alive. And what was the result? Do you remember the purpose of the sickness back in verse number four? When Jesus said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Lazarus is alive. Everybody's ecstatic. Think about it. Think about what must be going on in this crowd of people. Jesus has just brought somebody back from the dead. And it's not somebody on, the, on a hospital bed that their hearts just stop beating and they, and they, and they quickly, uh, with electrical impulses, are able to recharge that, that heart. And now this one whose heart stopped beating is now beating again. No, this man had been dead for four days. Skin that had been decaying and decayed was put back together. Blood that had dried up and, and, and dissipated now was recreated and started flowing again. A heart that was decomposing now was pumping that blood. A brain that for four days had not operated. Four days. Now it's going strong with no brain damage whatsoever. This is a, this is a, a miracle, unlike any other miracle. divine work of power. So why did he do all this? Why did Jesus do all this? Was his purpose just to have a living, breathing Lazarus? No. If that's all he wanted, he could have healed him on his hospital bed like Mary and Martha wanted him to in the first place. While he was sick, he could have healed him. No one would have even known. But that wasn't his purpose. Jesus had much bigger plans. He wanted to display his power and the power of the Father to not just Mary and Martha and Lazarus, but to everybody in the surrounding community. And we know that those people then told everybody that they knew what Jesus had just done. You're not going to believe what we just saw back in Bethany. My brother was dead four days. Four days in the tomb. Now he's alive. Look at verse 45. Then many of the Jews, which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. This is the power of God on display in the lives of his children. And the result, unbelievers turning to him. Now I want to go back to this question that I asked earlier in the message. What is your Lazarus? What is the thing that God has not done, but you know that he could do? You know he's fully capable of fixing it, and you've asked him to fix it, but he still hasn't fixed it. I don't know the situation, but I do know his purpose. Because it's his purpose in everything that he does, and that is to bring himself glory, 
and to bring glory to the Father. The illness and death of Lazarus and ultimately the resurrection of Lazarus had one purpose, and that was to bring supreme glory to God. And your Lazarus is a way for God to glorify himself through you. Can I just show you one more thing back in verse number one? Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Notice verse 2. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. What's so interesting about this verse in parentheses, is that Mary would not anoint the Lord with spices and wipe his feet with her hair until chapter 12. Now John is writing this. He's penning it many years later. Many years later, he's writing it. So all of this has already happened when he, when he writes it. But at the moment when, when Lazarus is sick and dying and they send for him, Jesus has not yet had this meeting at their house where Mary is there and worshiping him and pouring these, this uh, rich, uh, expensive spices on him and washing his feet, worshiping him. And, and so John is writing and he's reminding the readers that even before he's raised, that one day in the future, one day in the future, Mary will live to worship with Lazarus sitting there beside him. When, when John was writing this, there was no drama for him because he knew the end. He had the perspective of seeing the end. He knew the whole thing. He knew what happened. He knew it all. And so there's no drama for him like there is for us when we're reading it. But I want to end this morning with this reassurance that even though God's ways were not always our ways, and even though his timing is, is often not our timing, and ultimately we don't know how our Lazarus is going to play out in our life, We can be assured of this, that one day, one day we too will worship at the feet of Jesus. One day we will. All of us will. One day, one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. One day. One day we'll worship together. We'll worship Christ together one day. Not because everything ended up the way that we hoped it would end up. Not because God answered all of our prayers exactly the way that we wanted him to. Not because he fixed the things the way we wanted him to fix it, and he fixed them exactly when we wanted him to fix them. That's not why we will worship him one day. But we will one day all worship him together because he is worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to receive glory and honor and power. For he has created all things, and for his pleasure... They are and were created. One day we'll worship him together. Let's start today. Not because everything's going just like you wanted it to. Not because he answered your prayer in the moment you asked him to. Not because he's, he's, he's lined everything out exactly the way you had it planned. No, because God's got bigger things than you can even comprehend. Mary and Martha had no regrets about this day. They had, no, they had no regrets. That's why we see her worshiping at his feet. She wasn't mad. She didn't hold a grudge saying, Jesus, why did you have to make such a big dramatic spectacle? Why couldn't you just fix him when he was sick like I wanted you to? No. No, no. 
she understood when she stepped back and she saw the end of the story and she said, now I understand, God. You had something so much, so much bigger. And she worshipped him and she'll worship him for all eternity. We can only see so much. We have a limited focus. Our perspective is very limited. We can see today and we can see yesterday, but that's all we can see. But God sees a different perspective. God has a different purpose. Our faith is not perfect. On, on this side of heaven, our faith will never be perfect. We have a flawed faith sometimes, an imperfect faith. But let's have faith anyway. Let's worship him today because he's worthy. Whatever the outcome, he's still worthy.